chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 this morning. I've enjoyed studying for these messages on the miracles of Jesus. Now we're only looking in the book of Luke right now and so we're doing the miracles of Jesus through the book of Luke in chronological order. We're just working our way through and this is our third message already and the title of the message is we have seen strange things today. We have seen strange things today. Before I start, I, I don't normally do this, and I'll just give you a little bit of an insight into our services. Uh, for years, uh, for years and years, as long as I can remember now, uh, as long as I've been preaching, I've always left the announcements to the end of the service. I've never changed that in Hamilton here, and, and there's a purpose for that. You might wonder why. Because when we start the service, I believe we are to worship the Lord. The service is about the glory of God. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about a basketball game for the teens on Friday night and things like that. And so I just try to leave all that out as much as we can. Now, sometimes we'll forget and we'll, we'll slip it up and we'll say something about uh, something that's coming up. Uh, but uh, I, I don't normally do that. I try to leave that out. I want the whole service start to finish to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we can talk about ball games and things after the service has concluded. And so, but I, I do want to share a couple things with you uh, that I feel... Uh, Sometimes the crowd here doesn't always get all the announcements that, uh, that, are, that are upcoming in the future. If you only come on Sunday mornings, we maybe emphasize it more at other times. But I want to announce that our 85th anniversary services are coming up in November. And we're looking forward to a great weekend here. The Clark family from Berlin, New Jersey is coming. And we're thankful to have them here. And we're hoping uh, when they come, they'll bring my daughter home for the weekend too. That would be a blessing. She's not sure yet because she does work. But uh, we're hoping that Emily will come along with them. And uh, so be in prayer for those special services now. Let me say this, we're going to try to do this, and here's why I'm announcing it. On Saturday night, we have our banquet, we'll meet, have our banquet, then we'll come back over here for the service time, and we'll have uh, some music, and we'll have some uh, other things going on that night. Sunday morning will be our Sunday morning service, we'll have a joint Sunday school, have a little bit of music uh, in our morning service. But Sunday night, I want to encourage you to invite other people to come. All right. Uh, you say, why not Saturday night? Well, because we just wouldn't have the room for them in the gym for the meal. We wouldn't have enough food for them. And so we, 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 without knowing how many are coming, we'd have a hard time with that. But on Sunday night, we can pack this place out. And so a lot of churches don't have a Sunday evening service. Some of your neighbors don't go to church at all. And we'd love for them to come, hear the Clark family sing and preach. Now, I did ask Brother Clark uh, to preach his message on rote religion. How many of you that went to the summit remember that? Uh, let me say, we had, um, they had some preachers from all over the country, and Mike Clark, the high school principal, preached the most powerful message of the entire summit. And uh, just God put his hand on it, and I've asked him to preach it here. I believe it'll help you if you'll come and make sure you're here for that message, the rote, rote religion, it's called. And it, it just, uh, I mean, the altars were packed, and God was dealing with people. And I hope that it'll be a help to you. So please, this November, we're looking forward to our anniversary services. The springtime in March, again, we have uh, the uh, Faithman Quartet, Brother Calvin Allen, coming to preach. Uh, we've been blessed the last couple of years to have them in, and God has moved in our services in a special way. So I encourage you to mark your calendar for March. I, I, I'm trying to remember the exact dates, but I'll tell you this, it is the week before Resurrection Sunday. He said, are you crazy? You have Resurrection Sunday, you have all that. It was how Brother Stone had scheduled uh, the Man Up Conference, and we wanted to be a blessing to have the faith men at the Man Up Conference. I think the men, uh, those 400 men there, enjoyed having that quartet there, and so we tried to coincide with that a little bit, and so our schedules are a little tight, so we got a lot going on that week. We have our revival services Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Man Up Conference is the Friday and Saturday before, and then that Saturday and Sunday is our Easter Resurrection Cantata. So it's going to be a busy, busy week, and we'll have all hands on deck, but 
we believe God will bless it and use it. So that's next uh, spring, next uh, summer at our Chicken on the Grounds and open air meetings. We have the Blunkles back, and we're looking forward to having the Blunkles. And I'm also hoping to have the Vasics here for one of the nights of those meetings because they are normally in London at that time of year. Hopefully they could come down for one night so we'd have lots of great music at the Chicken on the Grounds and our open air meetings. And then next fall, our 86th anniversary, the Lake family is coming in again and always a blessing to our church. So mark your calendar for all those things. Check out on the wall. We have a new poster going up real soon for January, February, March already of next year that'll have all those calendar dates on it. Let's look in the Word of God this morning, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to grab... Luke chapter 5. You'll remember last Sunday night we looked at the healing of the leper. We weren't able to get into the miracles of Christ last Sunday morning due to our theme service and our special day. Thank you again for working so hard on that and appreciate all the visitors that were here and and those that helped with the, the barbecue after and such. We really do appreciate that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Luke chapter 5, we're going to continue right on after the healing of the leper. And in verse 16, the Bible says, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. You remember that the Lord Jesus Christ told that leper, now go and tell no one. The book of Mark, how could I not tell what Jesus did for me? And though it seems like he was disobeying the Lord, and and I think he was, if we are right strict to the letter of the law, he was disobeying Jesus' command, but how could he not tell about what Jesus did for him? He published the matter abroad, he blazed it abroad, the Bible says, And, and, and so the Bible says because of that, Jesus had to withdraw himself. So was he hiding from people? No. But Jesus understood the importance of having a personal relationship with the Father, And he knew that his ministry was about to explode. Can you imagine that? What if somebody were here today, Annie was here with that cast on, it came down her arm and up halfway up her elbow, and and I were to say, and and it was a gruesome break, by the way, nobody had to have x-rays to know that it was broken. We all knew when she came in from the playground, she's got a broken arm. You could see the bone uh, underneath the skin and how it was protruding and such. And try not to be too graphic, but I want to make a point here this morning. If, if I were to have brought her up in front of the church before the service started, and I said, you know, I know that the power of the Lord is here, and so we're going to remove this cast, and we're going to pray over her, and her arm is going to be healed. What if that got out in Simcoe? What if it was real? We'd be invited to every nursing home in town. We'd be asked to go through the halls of the hospital. Next Sunday, we'd probably have to expand the parking lot to get the number of people in here and say, I need that kind of healing. And so imagine what Jesus was going through. As the Bible says, this man began to publish it abroad and blaze it abroad. The Bible says he withdrew himself, not because he was intimidated or not because of, but his ministry was about to explode. And the Bible says he prayed. He understood he was going to need more strength for the hour. That he was going to need a close walk with God to deal with. And by the way, he wasn't just healing people. He was casting out demons. He was in a spiritual battle. He was facing the opposition of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. So the Bible says he prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day, verse 17, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Now look at that next phrase, and the power of the Lord was present 
to heal them. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your power. We thank you for your power that was manifested in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that that power lives within us, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, all power is given unto me, so send I you. We have the power to reach the lost, and we have this, this, this Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives every day, and so often we just don't tap into it. Father, we do thank you for your presence. And so, Lord, we ask, Lord, that that same presence, that Holy Spirit, would now speak to our hearts. Lord, I need your help. I surrender. I pray that you'd fill me. I, I believe we've done the best we could today to try to be obedient to Follow your leading in our songs, our scripture reading. Help us to be obedient now in the preaching as well. Help us, Lord, as hearers of the word to not just be hearers, but to be doers also. That we might be affected by the word of God and be obedient to the call of the word of God today. Speak to us, we pray. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've been studying these miracles, and again tonight, if the Lord would allow us, we'll look at the next miracle in Luke chapter 6. I, I've tried to look at it with new eyes, not to say that God has given me new eyes or there's any special insight that I have, but I've asked God every time, show me something that I haven't seen before. Unveil something to me. Just, I, I don't want to just look at the miracle as a fact. We understand, and I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I believe it is the inspired, inerrant, holy word of God penned by holy men of old as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost. I believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. I believe that. I believe that God has preserved his word, that I can hold up this Bible today and say I believe that I have a dependable, uh, uh, infallible word of God that is incorruptible. It is the truth. And we can rely upon, I believe that. And because I can believe that, I can read the miracles of God and say, isn't that wonderful that that happened? I can just take it as fact and believe it. But I believe that Jesus Christ didn't just do miracles haphazardly. Something that Brother Allen said when he was preaching here last March about the man that was laying by the pool of Siloam. As the angels would come and trouble the waters and somebody would slip in and be healed and there was nobody to help him. But he, he pictured for us as Jesus had to kind of weave his way through a crowd of sick and infirm people just to get to that one. And on the way out, he would have to step over others that were also crippled and maimed and blind. And yet he didn't heal them. He was there for a purpose. There was a lesson for us to be learned, and I believe there's a lesson here for us to learn today as we look at this message entitled, We Have Seen Strange Things Today. And I'm, I'm going to do it a little differently if I, if I could than I normally would. I'm going to give you an entire outline in the introduction of the passage. And so we'll just move very quickly, verse by verse, and we'll look at, give you the outline. You might mark it in your Bible, write it down, whatever you choose to do. If you retain things well, that's fine as well. But then I want to give you three concluding thoughts that we draw out of the scriptures by way of application this morning. Now look, if you will, in verse 18, the Bible says, as we look back at verse 18, the Bible talks about this place. It came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a, man, in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. 
And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. Now, I'm going to tell you something uh, just by way of uh, understanding, maybe, that in my Bible, it is marked right before verse 16 as a new paragraph. Uh, does anybody else have that in their Bibles? No? Also in verse 18, my Bible is marked as a new paragraph. Does anybody have that in their Bibles? Okay, I want you to understand something. Those are not inspired, all right? The chapter numbers, the Apostle Paul did never, never said to the church of Galatia, turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. Chapter 3 and verse 2 didn't exist. It was just one big letter, all right? Those paragraph markings that are in the Bible were put there by man years and years later. As a matter of fact, only in the last century, paragraph markings were added to the Bibles. Some of you expressed today that you don't even have them in your Bible. They are not inspired. They're just there to help us study. But I'm going to tell you this. In mine, I went back into the, into the original languages and found out that they put them in the wrong spot. As a matter of fact, some of you may have a paragraph marking on verse 17, and that's where it should be. The new paragraph actually starts in verse 17. You say, why does that make a difference? It actually does make quite a difference because it's introducing a new thought. In verse 16, the Bible says he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. In verse 17, he's in a house. Well, that's not the same paragraph at all, is it? That's a completely different thought. Verse 16 is a concluding thought of the previous miracle. Jesus went in the wilderness, but at some point now in chapter verse 17, he's coming to a home. He said, what are you talking about a home? Well, in a moment, you're going to see that it has a roof on it. And there's tiles there that they moved out of their way. And the Bible says they are sitting in this place. There are Pharisees and doctors of law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And they gathered at this place and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Behold, verse 18, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in. So how many of you can imply from that he was, Jesus was inside somewhere? They're trying to bring this man of the palsy in. The Bible will later on tell us about the roof that they had to take off to get the man in. And so he's not in the wilderness any longer. Now he's in a home, a dwelling place. And there he is sitting with doctors of law, the Pharisees. And they're sitting around in this place. And not very cordial, by the way. The Bible says this men came in a moment we'll read about with this sick man laying on a bed, sick of a palsy in verse 18. But they couldn't get in. Now, how many of you know that you can get more people in standing up than you can sitting down? But the Bible says the Pharisees and the doctors of law were all sitting around in this room, and so much so that they couldn't get anybody else in. This was a mark of arrogance on their behalf. You see, the teacher was the one that was supposed to sit. And Jesus was sitting and teaching them, but they would not relinquish their authority to him. And so they also sat down, not allowing this man to come in. I want you to see some things in the scripture as we outline. I'll give you the first point. I told you I'd give you an outline. Verse 18, I've marked the words, a dark future. A dark future. Consider this man with me. The Bible says in verse 18, he was taken with a palsy and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that he had laid on that bed for many, many years and that it took four men to carry him into this place and four friends that gathered around and had compassion upon him. But the Bible talks about his palsy. This palsy comes from the Greek word paraleo, which means paralysis. Many Bible scholars believe that he likely had had a stroke or something. 
And that part of his body, if not all of his body, was paralyzed as a result. And that's what they called a palsy in those days. That's a dark future, isn't it? There was no rehabilitation facilities. There was no such thing as internal medicine that they could try to put a shunt in or remove a blockage of any sort. If this man had indeed suffered a stroke or suffered some sort of palsy, there was no medication that he could take to help with the situation. He just simply suffered. He was confined to a lifetime of relying on others to take care of him and his needs. It was indeed a dark future. In verse 18 and verse 19, we notice that he had some devoted friends. The Bible says in verse 18, And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy, and they, they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Boy, he had some devoted friends, didn't he? They did not give up easily. You might even say they were determined friends, these, these men that, that gathered around this men's bed and carried it to the place. And when they could not get in, they took him to the rooftop and opened up the tiles and lowered him down into the midst and laid him before Jesus. Can I just say this very quickly? This has really nothing to do with our message, but it's a good application here. You know, if you have a true friend, they'll always bring you closer to Jesus, never take you away. When you're brokenhearted and when you're down and you're feeling spiritual paralysis, they'll be the ones that'll say, pick you up and say, let's go to Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer and let's, let's try to help this man. Let's try to help this woman. Let's, let's encourage them in the Lord. Let's come alongside them and encourage them to get to Jesus. That was what a, a devoted friend will do. And then we see not only did the man have a, a dark future and devoted friends, but he had a discernible faith. The Bible says in verse 20, and when he saw their faith. He said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Boy, their faith was discernible. Imagine in front of this religious crowd. I don't know, do you get a little, do you get a little shy around people? Do you ever do that? It's interesting as I've been around and, you know, here almost seven years now and you talk to people and they'll say, oh, pastor, God is so good. And, you know, we've gone through this trial, but God's brought us through. And then it comes time to have a church testimony and everybody keeps their hand down. Boy, it's, I understand it's tougher when you get around people. It's tougher to stand before a crowd and speak. I get that. But think about these friends and this man. They, they were not just going to their a place where there was like-minded believers. They were going to a place where there was doctors of law and Pharisees and people that were debating with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they boldly opened up the roof and they boldly were dropped down before him and Jesus said he saw their faith. What did he see? Jesus had to look up because only the man was before him on the cot. He probably saw four little faces looking down smiling through the hole. And Jesus saw those faces up there and I can imagine a smile came across the master's face because he's so busy dealing with all these grumpy people out here. He sees finally true faith. A discernible faith. People that said, hey, I don't care what the Pharisees think of me. Think about this. The Pharisees love to persecute people. Paul said he was a Pharisee. Paul said, I love to drag people out and kill them for the cause of God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, he was hauling them off and imprisoning them and 
breaking down their doors and killing these Christians. That's what Pharisees did. And yet these men said, we got to get to Jesus. And we don't care who knows it. We're going to put our faith in him today. It was discernible. Let me ask you this. Does, does the world know you have faith? In your workplace, is your faith discernible? Are you ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you only pray when you drop your napkin and say a quick prayer real quick while you're picking it up? Or do you openly just proclaim the name of Christ wherever you go? Are you ashamed of the gospel? We see the man had a dark future, but he had devoted friends and he had discernible faith, but he also had some devilish foes. Look at verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Notice their first mistake. The Bible says they began to reason. Here's what I've learned about miracles. You can't reason them out. They are supernatural. If they made sense, they wouldn't be miracles. But the Pharisees begin to look at one another and they say, Who is this? thinks he can forgive sins. Is he in the place of God? Boy, that's an attitude that comes straight from the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, by the way, let me remind you, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. That's what our real battle's with. And you get out of the world and people mock you. Listen, you're not, you're not battling with flesh and blood. That's not what the problem is. The problem is the spirit that's behind it. And these Pharisees thought they were religious and they thought they were right and they were thought they were defending God, but they were really of the devil. And they had the wrong spirit. And I'm going to tell you, friends, sometimes we see in the house of God and we see in the church of God when somebody gets excited about the things of the Lord, there are some devilish foes. And people began to rebuke it. Let me tell you, that's the spirit of the devil. Don't you be a part of it. Jesus put it this way. The disciples came to him once and they said, do you know that? John is over there baptizing. Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. Hey, they may not be exactly the same in every form and every function, and their methods may differ a little bit, but hey, if we're centered around the fundamentals of the faith and we believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins and shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, and they're winning souls for Jesus Christ, we ought not be so critical all the time. I may not have it here on this platform, But hey, I'm thanking God for other churches that are winning souls to Jesus Christ, even if they are different. I don't want to have the spirit of Satan. But that's what the Pharisees had. They were devilish foes. Then we see there's a discerning father, verse 22. But when Jesus perceived. Well, you know, God knows all things, right? The father can see the beginning from the end. And Jesus said, I and my father are one. And Jesus could see to the heart of the matter and he could see in the heart of those Pharisees. And it says, and Jesus perceived their thoughts. He answering said to them, what reason ye in your hearts? Isn't that interesting that Jesus uses the exact same word that the Holy Spirit uses in verse 21? The Bible says the Pharisees began to reason. And Jesus says, why are you reasoning? Well, I'm like, wait, wait, he knows we're reasoning. He knows what's going on in my heart. He can see into the midst, and so we see that Jesus is a discerning father. The Bible says in verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts, whether it is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk. 
We see a dark future. We see a devoted friends. We see discernible faith. We see devilish foes. We see a discerning father. And I want you to notice in verse 24, we see demonstrable forgiveness. Demonstrable forgiveness. Why is it demonstrable? Demonstrable means that you're able to demonstrate it. It's easy for me to say to Brother Paul, Paul, I forgive you. It's another thing for me to demonstrate it. Isn't that right? That means tomorrow I'm going to treat you kindly, right? That means tomorrow when you say, hey, Pastor, you want to go get a coffee? I'll say, I'm, I'm not going to shun you and in the back of my mind. I'm not going with that guy. But instead, I'm going to graciously either go or say, well, I can't. I'm busy, whatever. But there's a graciousness extended. There's, there's, a, there's a way to demonstrate forgiveness, And we see that in the next verse, in verse 24, the Bible says, but that ye may know, that ye may know. He says, there's something I'm going to demonstrate to you, that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. You see, it was important to Jesus Christ that these Pharisees and these doctors of law and these scribes and these Sadducees and these religious folks understood something. When Jesus forgave somebody, he actually had the power to do so. You say, wait a minute, isn't this about the miracle of the man that was healed of his palsy? I really don't believe it is. I believe it's about the man that got forgiven of his sins. That's the greatest miracle here. Brother Baker and I were talking in my office this morning. Brother Paul was there. And we were having our prayer time. And I, he, I guess we got talking about what I'd be preaching this morning. And I didn't give away the whole message. But I said, well, it's this, you know, this man sick of the palsy. And Jesus forgave him. And the Pharisees went berserk over forgiveness. Brother Tony put it this way. I'm going to let him preach for a minute. Would you listen to Brother Baker for a minute? He said this. He said, you know, that was the greatest miracle, the greater miracle of the two. Because in order for Jesus to forgive him, he had to go to the cross of Calvary. Think about that. Jesus said, do you think it's easier for me to say forgive him or to to be healed? You say either one. The truth is it was easier to say be healed. Because that didn't cost him his life and his shed blood. To be forgiven cost him his life. So we see... A demonstrable forgiveness. In verse 7, or in verse 26, we see the last part of our outline, a definite fear. Look what it says in verse 26. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear. Saying, we have seen strange things today. Man, what a, what a wonderful thing. I, I never thought about that, that phrase, we have seen strange things today. But wouldn't it be wonderful that every time you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you come away saying, boy, that was strange. I think that's a good thing. I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's odd or peculiar. I think to, to, to come to Jesus and have him do something in your life that has never happened in your life before is a wonderful thing. That's why we meet with Jesus constantly. That's why we read the Bible and commune with him. And so we see in the word of God this morning, and I'll just recap the outline very quickly. In verse 18, we see a man with a dark future, but he had devoted friends and a discernible faith, and, but he had some devilish foes. But he had a discerning father and, who demonstrated forgiveness. 
and left the people with a definite fear. But I want to get to the main point of the message this morning, and let me give you three concluding thoughts very quickly. I want you to notice, first of all, a concern revealed. A concern revealed. Look back in verse 20 with me. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. I don't know what time of day it was. But the Bible says that people traveled from all corners to get to him. They came from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Jerusalem was quite a ways from Galilee, and Galilee was quite a ways from Jerusalem. So they traveled quite distant, some distance to, to meet with Jesus wherever he might have been in this house. There they got there, and the Pharisees and the doctors of law, likely some of them had been sent by the temple priests to question Jesus and to find out what was going on. Many others came to be healed. Others came because they needed to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so they came. But this I know. That this man that was taken with a palsy, though he had faith to be healed, did not come to get his sins forgiven. I don't believe he did. I don't believe that his friends, one on each corner that carried him whatever distance it might have been and brought him to that place that day, I don't think for a moment they thought, let's go and find Jesus that his sins can be forgiven. As a matter of fact, if they were Jews and they were good Jews at all and went to the synagogue on a weekly basis and heard from the priests and they went down to, to Jerusalem once in a while for the day of atonement and understood what the sacrifices meant. They likely thought that their sins were covered by religion. So I don't believe that they came there to be forgiven. I believe they came there to be healed. The Bible says he was sick of the palsy. It didn't say that he was sin sick in need of a savior. The concern that the people had was a physical concern, but the concern that was revealed by Jesus Christ was spiritual, not physical. Let me say this. You can go to heaven today with cancer, but you cannot go there in your sin. You understand what I'm saying? You can come down. Now listen, the, by a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said it'd be better to enter into eternity, uh, halt and maim and blind. Pluck out your eye and cut off your hand if it offends thee. You can go to heaven without those things. But you can't go to heaven without Jesus. And though these men with the faith that they had in Jesus Christ came to be healed, Jesus' concern was spiritual, not physical. In John chapter 3, we read of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he was impressed by the things that he heard of Jesus and the miracles that he had seen. And he came to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher that has been sent from God. And Jesus replied, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was wanting to know, where did your power come from? How do you do these miracles? We know that you come from God, but what's behind it? And Jesus said, I'm concerned about the spiritual, not the physical. And the miracle of this man that had the palsy, the greatest miracle was the salvation of his soul. The fact that even if Jesus chose not to heal him physically and he's carried back to his home on that very same cot on which he came, he would go home as a child of God because his sins were forgiven by Jesus. The spiritual ought to be our 
Number one, concern. So we see a concern revealed. Here's the second revelation. A connection revealed. Look what the Bible says as we read down in verse 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said to them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thy house. I want you to understand something today, and I I don't believe that Jesus did not have compassion on the man's condition. I I believe he did. I believe Jesus loved him. And it pained Jesus Christ to see him laying there on that cot and his body shriveled up and in pain. And I, I have no doubt. But that's not why he healed him. They say, well, why not? Well, because the Bible says so. Here's what Jesus says why he healed him. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. You see, the miracle of healing of the palsy served a purpose. It was to prove that he also had power to forgive sins. He had the power to forgive sins. Here's the connection. Jesus' power is sufficient for everything. And if he can prove to you by working in your life and performing miracles in your life and and providing for your needs, and by the way, listen, uh, we understand that in the day and age we live in, all of us can say, well, listen, God's been very good to me and God has taken care of these needs and I've experienced answers to prayer and I understand what it's like to call upon Jesus and he hears me in the hour of need and I understand all that. Here's why Jesus does that, to reaffirm himself to you that he loves you and that he wants to save you. He died for your sins. And that's the greatest miracle of all. There was a connection of his power over the man's palsy, but was also sufficient to forgive sins. There was a concern revealed. There was a connection revealed. Here's the third revelation, and we're done. There was some character revealed. Look us back in verse 20 with me. The Bible says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Do you understand that words are important? That every word is given by inspiration of God? Do you know that when the Pharisees used the word blasphemy, that was a crime that was punishable by death? As far as the Jewish culture went? This was no light thing. This, this, this wasn't them looking at each other and going, oh, he must be mistaken. No, no. They were accusing him of a crime that was worthy of death, blasphemy. If I can put it this way, they weren't berserk. And they did not take this lightly. Jesus said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee, and that room lost control. They begin to argue and bicker and reason with themselves. Who does he think he is? Their character was revealed. Now look down at verse 25. And immediately, Jesus just said, Arise, take up thy couch, and go in thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that wherein he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were, what's the next word? All amazed. I have to believe that means the Pharisees, the doctors of law, and everybody else that was in the house. 
they were all amazed and they glorified God. And they were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, here's what I, what I mean when I say some character was revealed. Notice the character. When Jesus forgave the man of his sins, they lost their minds. When Jesus healed them of his infirmity, they begin to glorify God. Just the absolute opposite of what Jesus was concerned. Jesus said, I'm concerned about your spiritual side. They were only concerned about his physical side. They were only concerned about the body being healed. And when they saw this, this act of kindness, this miracle take place, they began to glorify God. Why? Because they saw by the eyes, through their eyes, rather than the eyes of faith. They couldn't see his sins forgiven, but they saw. Listen, can, can I just say this? We see this a lot today, still today, don't we? We see this attitude today. People are quick to admit their infirmities, but we're very slow to confess our sins. Boy, I tell you what, if you get a call from the doctor this week, and I sure hope you don't, but there's something has gone terribly wrong in your body. Nine times out of ten, the first call is to the church office, can I get on the prayer list? I'm sick, I've got a cancer, I've got a tumor, I've got, you know, I've got these other issues going on. And I need prayer. And I'm going to have a surgery coming up. Would you pray for me? And boy, we get that on the prayer list real quick. But how often when we get caught up in sin do we go looking for help? A lot of times that's the blindness of Satan. I understand that. He blinds us to the truth. But we will, we'll go to doctors. We'll find specialists. We'll call the church. We'll share it in our prayer groups. We'll tell the ladies to pray. We'll tell the men's group to pray. We'll get our Sunday school class praying. We'll, we'll call our friends and say, hey, would you pray for me? I've got this need. We're concerned about it. We're worried about it. We're worried about the physical. But how often can we even just get up from our chair and come down to an old-fashioned altar and say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Can I tell you, the Pharisees couldn't do it. They were angry when Jesus forgave sins, but they were glorifying God when he healed the body. There's quite a difference there, isn't there? Their reaction revealed their character. People are quick to ask Jesus for a healing, but slow to confess our sins. And by the way, if we turn this on the other side, Christians will often show pity on somebody that's sick, but will condemn somebody that's caught in sin. Oh, it just got quiet. When you know somebody is taken in sin, how do you react? I don't think the Pharisees liked that Jesus forgave this man for sin. Because what sin could he have committed? He was laying on a cot, shriveled up in his body. It wasn't like he was a partier or a reveler. How could he be unkind to anybody? How could he relied upon people to take care of him? And the fact that Jesus said, thy sins are forgiven, he probably pointed all the fingers right back at them. If this man has sinned, I must have sinned. If his Jewish faith isn't good enough to save him, then maybe mine's not. Boy, they don't like calling out sin. But we as children of God, when... Somebody raises their hand and said, please pray for me, I'm sick. Boy, we, we rally around them, we'll get them down at the altar, we'll get a group of people around them, we'll pray over them, we'll put them on the prayer list, we have compassion, we'll make meals, we'll take them over. But when somebody's caught up in sin, we're quick to condemn them. To leave them to die in their sin. Jesus wanted this man to know that whatever was going on in his heart, by the way, I think the man knew he was a sinner. 
He must have known there was something going on. And when Jesus said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee, it probably was like a burden that was lifted right off his heart. We all, we all know what that secret sin is, don't we? We know what's going on in our hearts and our lives and how black they really are. And by the way, we need, boy, we need one another's prayers. We need to lift up one another. We need to help one another. Let me ask you this. What was the real miracle? What was the real miracle? Well, I see two. Yes, the man was healed and got up off his bed, but his sins were forgiven him. Let me ask you this. What miracle do you need today? Which miracle do you need today? You can get your body healed right now. If God so desires and you pray and you ask God to heal you and he decides I'm going to reach down, I'm going to heal them right there at Bethel Baptist Church on September 17, 2017. I'm going to just take away that disease, whatever it might be. God could do that just like that and you could still die and go to hell. But if you come to him with your sins, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In Matthew chapter 18, we read the promise of scripture. Somebody came to Jesus, how often do I forgive my brother seven times? And he says, no, 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 70 times seven. You just keep forgiving him. Forgive, forgive, forgive. And by the way, if God gave that as a standard, Jesus has the same standard for us. He forgives. That's the miracle I see in this story. Yes, we have a man that's sick, but we have a man that was forgiven. We have a man that was healed, but we also have a man on his way to heaven because of the touch of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Here's what I'm going to leave you with today. He said, preacher, I need a touch from God. I need the miracle of Christ. I need the healing in my body. Praise the Lord. Get it on the prayer list. Get down to this altar. Pray with your friends. Ask God. Beseech God. Fast and pray, whatever it takes. But what about your sin? Do you beg God and plead with God to forgive you? Do you remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican? The Pharisee prayed, oh God, thank you that I'm not like this, no good, rotten publican. And the publican beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the one I'm pleased with. How do you deal with your sin? This man got something he wasn't expecting. The Pharisee said, we have seen strange things today. I don't think they were talking about the miracle because Jesus has been doing miracles everywhere he went. This is the first time he said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. We need to get serious about our sin. And let God, by the power that he has, take it from your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. God, we thank you for the wonderful, life-changing power that Jesus Christ has. Lord, it's wonderful to read of the miracles and the power of God, but this miracle, as Jesus himself said, just substantiates that he has the power to take away sins. That's our number one problem. There's infirmities, there's sicknesses, there's diseases. But none of them plague us as a society like sin does. Sin has become an epidemic. Not just in our society, but in our churches. So God, I pray that you would help us to get serious about it. It's what Jesus is concerned about. It's the miracle he wants to perform in our lives right now. 
It's the one that gets answered every single time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, maybe there's one here today. It's lost without Jesus Christ. They need to come and put their faith and trust in him today, be cleansed of their sin and repent of everything else and just trust in Jesus alone. And so Lord, I pray that you speak to their hearts today. Father, may there's some Christians here today that are dealing with sin, dabbling in things we ought not to be into. And I pray, Lord, that you deal with their hearts. Help us to be about as serious about coming to Jesus with that as we are with everything else. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. Let's do business with God. Let's be serious this morning. Maybe there's one. Say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Would you pray for me? Is there one? I know I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need a Savior. Is there one? I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you today. Maybe there's some here say, Preacher, I'm dealing with some problems, some things in my life. I'm just going to be bold about it. I'm going to confess it today. I'm going to go to Jesus Christ and I'm going to ask him to forgive me today. I don't want you to raise your hand because it's none of my business. But I do want you to take it to the Lord. Get your heart right with God. Boy, we seek him for so many other things. Somebody put it this way. Forgive us, Lord, for seeking your hand, but not your face. David said, thy face, Lord, will I seek. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. That's the miracle we need. The cleansing power of Jesus Christ. Brother Baker's going to sing a verse of softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. If God has spoke to your heart, would you still let him come even now?